All right, can the rest of us open up our Bibles? Uh, we're going to the book of First Timothy. First Timothy chapter two, verses one to seven. All right, let me read this for us, and then uh, Peter will preach for us today. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. This is the word of God. Thank you. Thank you. Um, good morning, everyone. Can I get everyone to turn to person next and say, welcome to church. <laughs> turn to someone else and say, it's good to see you. All right, all righty. Um, we're having a little bit of technical difficulty, so ignore the thing that's happening behind me. I think um, something didn't work, and so media team uh, pivoted really, really well for us. Can we give media team a little hand for everything they do every week? Yeah, yeah. They, they do a lot. Thank you so much, guys. All right, so uh, good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. My name is Peter, and um, I have the joy and privilege of opening up God's Word for us today. We're in a three-week sermon series uh, called The Good Fight of Faith, and we are looking at, today the title is, well, just Church on Mission. Church on Mission is the title for today. Why don't we pray together, and um, we'll dive into this text. Let me pray. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would grant us a deeper understanding of the power and beauty of the gospel message, that Christ came to die for sinners, and that this was because of your great love for us, and that the love displayed on the cross was and is your amazing grace that you are still pouring out on your people even today. And I pray that you would move us to not only raise our hands in response to this good news, but to fall on our knees. And fight for those who do not yet know this gospel message. Won't you break our hearts for what breaks yours and would our hearts burn for the things that you desire? Bring conviction to our hearts today through your word and by your spirit. And won't you use me as a faithful mouthpiece today that we as a church might grow to be more like a church that pleases you. We need you today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So today, I wanted to start with a quick recap of uh, the first chapter of 1 Timothy, um, and it'll help us understand our text today a little bit better. So Paul has been talking to Timothy in 1 Timothy, who is pastor. So Timothy is pastoring a church in Ephesus, and the context is there are all these false teachers trying to teach all these, you know, false messages and false truths in the church, watering down the gospel and taking away from the gospel message of salvation. And so, Paul writes to Timothy, urging him, strongly encouraging him, really, he's commanding him to lead the church in Ephesus like this. And he says, he tells him to guard the gospel. 
Right? Guard the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Guard the gospel message. Right? Don't let those false teachers teach in the church and confuse the church. No. Bring the church back to the gospel message. Why? Well, Paul shows us as he celebrates the gospel message in his own life. Chapter 1, verse 15. He says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Why should we guard the gospel? Why should they guard the gospel? Well, because it is the way to salvation and eternal life for sinners. It's the most important message for the Christian and for the church. So we must protect it, right? That's what Paul is saying. And perhaps by testifying of the gospel message in his own life, what Paul is showing Timothy here is that one of the best ways to protect and guard the gospel is actually to celebrate the gospel. To remember what it means for us today, what it means, remember what it means for me today, because then we would continue to remember the importance of it. And so here is what I think the kind of the crux of first chapter is. Be a church that guards the gospel by celebrating the gospel. I think that's what Paul is saying. Be a church that guards the gospel by celebrating the gospel. Be a church that does not forget what it means that Jesus came to die for sinners like you and I. And by his blood, we are now set free from our sins, redeemed and renewed, promised a place in his perfect kingdom forever. doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. In Christ, we are accepted. That's the gospel. Guard it by celebrating it. In Kingsway, I I deeply hope and yearn for our church to be a church that guards the gospel by celebrating it for as long as we exist. Amen? I, I, I hope that you want our church to look like this too. More than anything else you want for our church, and I want many things for our church too, right? That more than anything that you might pray that the gospel stays central and foundational in everything that we do as a church. Now, if this is the desire of your hearts for our church, and I hope it is, then today's passage, challenging as it may be, I think is very important. Because right after Paul urges Timothy to lead his church in this way, guarding the gospel, Paul then shows Timothy what a church that has guarded the gospel successfully looks like. Right? He's showing what it looks like to, guard the church, to be a church that has guarded the gospel. And what does it look like? Well, that's what we'll find out together today. I have two points for us today. The first is the call to pray, and the second is the reason for it. Easy. The call to pray and the reason for it. Let's look at the first point, the call to pray. Paul writes in chapter 2, verse 1, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Okay, so going back to chapter 1, Paul has been talking about the gospel and about guarding the gospel and how important the gospel is. And then look at how he opens up chapter 2. He says, first of all, right, as first priority, and then he says, then. Now, the then here is really important. The then here means that whatever Paul is about to say is not a, it's a thing on its own. It's a kind of a result of whatever he said before. Do you see what I mean? 
So Paul has been saying in chapter 1, the gospel is beautiful. Guard it in your church. Then, first of all, then, I urge you to pray. So this, is, this passage is more than a simple call to pray. Paul is actually making a connection between gospel understanding and prayer, and a culture of prayer. If you are a church that has guarded the gospel truly, then you should be a church, he's saying, that prays. It's a natural progression. That's what the then does for us in this text. Now, what, what kind of prayer does he talk about? Well, he makes a list. Paul makes a list of all the different kinds of prayers, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. But the, the focus here isn't the different types of prayers. I think Paul is just saying, pray any kind of prayer. Just pray. The focus here is the subject, he says, for all people. For all people. Missional prayer. Outward prayer. And, and I think there is the challenge for us today in this text. Because we love praying for ourselves. We love praying for our needs. We love praying for our children's needs because they're kind of tied to us. My financial stability, my worries, and my future, which by no means is a bad thing. Right? We should be praying for those things. But I think we do struggle, and I can definitely speak on my behalf and say when I say I struggle, to think about, care about, and pray for the world that we live in the non-believers out there in the world, the non-believers that I know, and even some of the people in this church that I don't really have a relationship with. I struggle to think about, care about, and pray for them. And I wonder if you can relate with me. Friends, the call to prayer here is the call to missional prayer, outward prayer. Again, what Paul is highlighting is that if we are a church, if we are to be a church that has deep-rooted gospel understanding and have not swerved from the gospel, and we understand it as a church, first of all, then, we should check our, our prayer lives. Do you want to see, five years down the track, if we are a healthy church that has stayed true to the gospel? Paul is teaching us, check your prayer lives. What are you praying for? You may see it there. How do our prayers look? Do we pray for all people? Do we pray for one another here at church? Do we pray for that friend who left church a few years ago? Do we pray for the, the, the workmate that has never been to church? Do we pray for those around the world struggling without the gospel? Do we pray for the war-torn countries and missionaries fighting for the gospel in those lands? Do we pray outward-looking prayers? And I hope that what we can see from this passage together today is that if we do not or are not praying in this way, as Christians, we should be. We totally should be. That's what Paul is saying. Because what Paul is teaching us is that our prayer lives is an indication, in some ways, of our understanding and appreciation of the gospel. So I think that's what, I think that's what Paul is saying in this first verse. Timothy, I urge you to lead your church to pray, to pray for all people. But that is what it looks like to be a church that has guarded the gospel. Of course, there are many other things that it looks like when you guard the gospel. This is not the only thing, but it's interesting that he points out this is the first thing. I guess that's how important it is, and maybe that's how often we miss it. We miss the mark with this. 
Now, Paul will go on to give us a few reasons later on, and we'll talk about that in a second, but I want to turn our attention to verse 2, because not all missional prayer is, Lord, save them, save them, save them, right? It can sound like that, you know, be outwardly, we, we might think, oh, just pray, save them, save them, save them. There are different ways to pray outwardly. There are different ways to pray missionally. And here, I think Paul is giving us an example of one. Paul writes, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Verse 2, For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now, this verse can be very easily misunderstood. You might read this and think that Paul is telling us to pray for our prime ministers, presidents, and world leaders to be saved and become Christian, right? And, And again, those aren't bad prayers, But the focus of this verse is not primarily on the salvation of these kings and leaders. The focus is how that affects, how those kings and leaders affect the Christians living under them. Why? Because how the kings and rulers rule their land directly impacts our ability to live out our Christian lives faithfully. To live our lives in a manner that is dignified before God. He says, it impacts our ability to worship. It impacts our ability to evangelize. It impacts our ability to live godly lives faithfully before God. I have an example. Here in Sydney, during the really bad COVID lockdown period, we were unable to meet to worship. That was just the law. And so we stayed online for quite some time. Now, there came a time, there was a time, and you may remember, that the government said, all right, churches, you can meet, but... Uh, if someone is unvaccinated, they cannot join you. They said that. Now, this may seem like not a you know, big deal because most people you know may be vaccinated. But the church, and when I say the church, I don't mean just our church, but you know, a lot of churches around Sydney felt like those rules violated our gospel convictions that said church is a place for everyone, that welcomes everyone no matter what you've done and what choices you've made and who you are. And so there was a debate amongst churches. Should we abide by the law and risk rejecting even one non-Christian person who needs to hear the gospel, but because of their decisions are turned away? Or do we stay true to our gospel convictions and break the law? Now, those weren't the only two options, thankfully. Kingsway just decided to stay online the whole time in order to honor everybody until we can come to a time where we can invite everybody. We felt like that was the right thing to do. And I personally feel quite proud of the decision that we made. But that's 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 the kind of thing that Paul is talking about. Paul, if you look at his life, has been on many missionary journeys, trying to preach the gospel and see lives changed. But on many occasions, he's stopped by kings, thrown into prison, rejected by governments. And so Paul knows how important it is that the rulers of the land rule in a way that allows for the church to actually live out their faith faithfully. And so he says, pray. Pray for your leaders. Pray that you may not have opposition like I have, but rather experience a peaceful and quiet life as you live in a godly and dignified way before the eyes of God. The underlying push here. Right? Underneath the prayer, the underlying push here is the, the call to missional living. Pray that the gospel can go out to the world for all people. Even if it means you need to pray for your world leaders that by God's grace, they may make decisions 
that make it possible for the church and for Christians to, to go out and live out their lives faithfully. And even these prayers that we pray for the leaders is actually a prayer for, the, for all people. It's missional. And that's what call, Paul is calling the church to do, to, missional, to pray missional prayers. And this is an example of one of them. David Platt, in one of his commentaries, he writes, The progress of the gospel in the world is dependent on the prayers of God's people in the church. While salvation ultimately belongs to God and even our prayers are His work in us, God has chosen to use the prayers of His people to accomplish His will. We desperately need to hear this truth. We are surrounded by people from our own city to the ends of the earth who are lost, perishing, and on their way to everlasting suffering. The Bible is literally urging us here to pray for them. So there is the call. Kingsway, pray. Will you pray? Will you pray for those around you? Will you pray for the unbelieving friends in your life? And will you pray for the world that we live in? Will you pray? And I hope that, that you would and that we would be a church that prays like this. Now let's have a, a deeper look at the reason uh, for this call to prayer. And there is a second point and my last point, the reason for it. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 to 4. Paul writes, This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So after calling the church to prayer, Paul gives some theological reasons why it is important we pray like this. And the first reason is this, because God desires it. Now when I say it, I don't mean necessarily prayer, but rather the missional heart behind the prayer. Right, So when I say God desires it, it's not that God desires for us to pray, which I'm sure he does, but it's the, he desires the missional heart behind the prayer. Paul says, pray for this is good. It's a good thing. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Why? Because he desires for all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Why should we pray missional prayers for the world that we live in? Because it pleases our God. And he desires it. He desires for the world to come to know him. That people might be saved. And so I think that is why, kind of going back to the, the then or the therefore at the beginning of this verse, this passage, I think that is why when a church comes to an understanding of the gospel truly, and a church is filled with the desire and passion to live for God faithfully, and their hearts are aligned with God's, that's why they will pray for the world, because that's what God wants. And so perhaps that is why Paul says, as first importance, if you want to check the health of your church, if, how, the, how true the gospel is staying in the heart of your church, check the prayer, the content of the prayers of your church, for that will be the best litmus test to seeing gospel health of your community. Because it reveals if we, whether we care about the things of God or not. Kingsway, do we care about the things of God? Do we care about the things of God? Yes? 
So then do we care about the great commission that he has given to us to go and make, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? And do our lives and do our prayers reflect that? I think as I was reading this and kind of, you know, studying for this, I, I was very humbled, uh, not humbled, I was, I felt like I was being rebuked by the word. Because a lot of times when I come to church and think about how, you know, we can do church, I'm always thinking about us and how we can make this place better and, and this place more fun and more comfortable. And, and very often I forget about the people outside the walls. It makes me think, well, what am I doing this for then? What does God care about? God certainly desires this. And he proves his desire for the world to be saved when he sent his son into the world to die for it. That's why Paul writes in verse 6, Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. The testimony of what? The testimony of God's love and his heart for the world. It's proof that he desires this, that he will send his son to die for the world. Do we care about the things that God cares about? Because God cares about this. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Proof that God's desire is and his heart is to see the world come to know him. God desires it. So we should pray for the world. Now this does raise some difficult theological conundrums. The main one is probably, well, if God desires for everyone to be saved, why doesn't he just do it? And honestly, uh, we can never fully know the answer to that question because we're not God. But at the same time, I don't think we're meant to know the full answer to these questions because to obey and trust in God is often and usually an act of faith that we're called to make. Of course, there are things we need to consider, like will people not be saved if we don't pray? No, I don't think that's true. So then will people be saved because I prayed? No, I don't think that's true either. We don't have saving power. What we can know for sure, though, looking at God's word and find confidence in is that God can and does save. And he invites us in passages like this. He invites us to partake in the mission of saving lost souls by taking the gospel to them. And maybe that begins with prayer for them. And then everything else that I don't understand and know, I believe we need to just ask God for a greater faith, for greater wisdom to be able to trust in Him. And that's all I'll say about that. If you want to know more, talk to Daniel. He'll have some answers, I think. So the first reason that Paul gives, why we should pray for all people, God desires it. To be honest, that should be enough. God desires it. But then he gives us a second reason. And it is that they and the world, they need it. They need it. Verse 5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man. Men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. The second reason why we should pray for all people is because the world needs it desperately. And again, this is why I think that there is a natural progression between gospel understanding, and missional prayer. It's because when a healthy church understands the gospel truly, they understand that they have found the one way to true salvation. For not just ourselves, but for the world. That's what we believe in. 
If you really believe that what you have in the gospel is salvation from hell, from eternal suffering and redemption, and, and, and instead a promise of heaven and glorious, perfect God's kingdom forever, would you really not share that with the world around you? If we really believe that, would we really not share it with those, at least those who we say we love and care about? Would we really not want to share that with the world around us? I mean, I've heard people come back from going to like really awesome burger places and they, they can't stop talking about it. If we had the cure to a deadly disease, would we stand there and sit there and watch people die and, and just pass by us without saying anything? And I think that's the thought that Paul is channeling here in verse 5 when he says, there is one God. There is one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. What he's saying is there is one way, there is one door, and you have the key to it. And the presupposition here is that that mediation needs to exist between God and man, right? There is mediation that is needed. And that there is a problem that can be only solved by one mediator. And we have the answer to that. We believe that. You, we, we all, you say you believe that when you say you're a Christian. We have understanding to, of how to find salvation. So the question is, what will we do about it? Or what should we do about it? I remember back when, you know, rat tests was a thing. I remember people were texting each other like, oh my gosh, I found one at this Woolies. And like, it's like, oh, and everyone's like going to that Woolies. Daniel was really big on this. He would text me, I, have, I found one at Rouse Hill, everyone. And then we're all going to Rouse Hill. Was, everyone's just telling each other where to find the, it's not really the cure, but the thing that we need. And I think this is the heart that Paul is channeling right now in this verse. Paul says we should pray, pray for the people, pray for all people, for all people need to know the one God that we know. And how to approach this one God that we know. But not only that, and I find this interesting, Paul actually says that we should, or he kind of uh, implies that we should go as well. And we see this demonstrated in verse 7. As Paul writes, for this, right, this gospel, you know, mission, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So after talking a bunch about prayer for the world, prayer for all people, the need that the world has to hear about this one God who we can approach through this one mediator, Paul then kind of testifies through his own life as an example that he then became a preacher and an apostle and a teacher for this reason, to the Gentiles, he says. And this is an interesting thing. The Gentiles, if you read this in the original, is he's talking about everyone else, the world out there, those who aren't, you know, grown up in the church. He's saying, I became a preacher and a teacher for the Gentiles, for the world, for this reason, he says. And so as, he, as we close this passage, Paul is demonstrating, and this is why I didn't want to call this sermon, you know, the church should pray. I really believe, even though he talks a lot about prayer, I think that's because that's the first thing we can do, and it's really the easiest thing we can do, and maybe one of the most important things we can do. But what Paul is really talking about here is the missional heart. Paul is demonstrating here that prayer is not the only thing we ought to do, but with missional hearts, we ought to also go and to preach. 
take the message out to those who don't know Jesus, whether it is in the workplace, whether it is with family, amongst friends, or even to lands that God may call us to because they need it. They really, really need it, and we know how to get it. So what Paul is calling us is, again, this is like an equation in my mind, gospel understanding. If you've got the gospel and this gospel understanding, then one of the first things you'll see pouring out from the church is, is a missional heart. Because they recognize, look to God and ask, oh, well, what do you want, God? And God says, well, I want you to save the world. And we look at the world around us and we see, well, what do they need? And then we see that they need the gospel that we have. So the natural progression is that we will go. Firstly, in prayer, and perhaps maybe in action, on mission. You know, we often ask the question, uh, you know, what makes a healthy church? What, how can we know if our church is doing well and if we are truly living out our faith faithfully and understanding the gospel truly? And, you know, there are a lot of answers, I think. I don't think this is the only thing. You know, how we worship the Lord, the Lord, how we approach His Word, how we pray, how we love one another, and there's all these things. But I think one of the ways that Paul is showing us in this text today to check and to kind of test to see if our community is healthy in the gospel or not is this, to check if we are living uh, as a church on a mission. So let me ask, Kingsway, are we a church on a mission? And, you know, there may be all these excuses. We had COVID, we can't go overseas. No, I'm talking about overseas. We can talk about that later. Are we on mission for God every single day? Even in this room, when you see a new person who may not be a Christian, are we a church on mission? When we go into work and they ask you, what did you do on the weekend? Are we a church on mission? In our prayers, I know we spend a lot of time praying for me and my needs and my future, but is there, is there a heart and passion for those who are outside of this bubble? Are we a church on mission? I believe what our passage is teaching us today is one of the key indicators of a healthy church is a church that is on mission, and that is first, maybe most importantly, represented in the way that we pray. So will we pray? Will you pray? I hope that we do. Because God desires for the world to be saved and the world around us, uh, they need to hear about Jesus Christ. As we close, I want to end with a few challenges for us. Quite practical. The first is, if you do not have a non-believing friend or you know, someone in your life that you're praying for regularly, I encourage you to, to, to find someone. Like, take a think of someone. And to, and to maybe write their name down somewhere and, and pray for them. Like actually pray for them and commit to them in prayer. Maybe share, with, share about that person with somebody in your life, maybe with your growth groups, and actually pray for, maybe this is a first step towards praying more for the world and outside of myself. So let's pray for our non-believing, you know, brothers and sisters around us. The second challenge that I want to give you is, if there is a, if you're not praying for a different part of the world, and this is something that I, I really, I need to th start thinking about. Uh, if you're not praying for a different part of the world, you know, that is not just my little bubble here, let's begin to pray for a different part of the world. 
Maybe go out there and start doing some research to see what else is out there, what gospel need is out there, what kind of missionaries are doing what around the world. From next week, we're going to have uh, this awesome thing called Mission Minute coming through, and the mission team's going to come up and share about the world as well. I think that's a really cool way for us to have, get an insight into where we can pray and, and pick a place and pray for a different part of the world. Insert that into your prayer life. I think that will really help us in kind of developing this culture within our church and within our own lives to be a church that prays and prays for all people. This is important. This is not just a nice to have. Paul is saying this is a need to have in the church if we are to be a church that truly understands and holds true to the gospel message. Amen? I think it would be inappropriate after this to then all close our eyes and pray for ourselves. And so what we're going to do before we sing is I'm going to invite you just to spend a few minutes. And I know this is going to be uncomfortable, but this is a really important exercise just to, with the people around you, just to spend a little bit of time praying for one another. And maybe praying for that missional zeal in the heart of those around you. And just praying that God might continue to, you know, help them remember the gospel and, and stay true to the gospel as they live their lives. Just a few minutes. Let's just pray for one another. And then we'll sing a song as we close this service together. Let's pray together. Uh, um, you guys can talk to each other. That's, yeah, that, I don't know if that was implied. Everyone just put their heads down. You talk to each other and pray for one another out loud. Go, 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 go.